Section 3 of Seven Roman Statesmen of the Later Republic by Charles Oman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Tiberius Gracchus, Part 2. A vast crowd appeared on the appointed day, enough as the reformer hoped to overawe his recalcitrant colleague but when the clerk again began to recite the preamble octavius again interposed his veto then followed a violent scene while the tribunes exchanged hard words and the mob raged and shouted a most unhappy inspiration then came upon the reformer honestly unable to understand that his colleague could have any but selfish reasons for his obstinacy he suddenly made a most offensive proposal to him you are he said a considerable holder of public land i will pay you the full value of it out of my own pocket if you will withdraw your veto naturally octavius was deeply hurt and put aside at once the insulting offer his colleague had taken the very course which made it a point of honour for him to persist in opposition to the very last again there was a deadlock the condition of affairs raised wild anger in the breast of tiberius he was still convinced that only bad motives could lead men to oppose a law in which as he considered lay the sole hope of salvation for the roman state accordingly he resolved that these enemies of the people should be chastised he redrafted his bill striking out the compensation clauses and simply evicting the possessores as a punishment for their opposition moreover he resolved to show that if his adversaries could use the powers of the tribune so could he he determined to make all state business impossible till his bill should have a hearing using an undoubted constitutional right but one which no man but a doctrinaire in a passion would have employed at such an early stage of the proceedings he forbade all other magistrates to exercise their functions till the agrarian law should have been discussed he sealed up the state treasury in the temple of saturn to prevent any payments being made from it he gave notice to the praetors that they must close the law courts and that if they allowed a case to be tried they should be punished by a heavy fine in a short time every department of government was in confusion public servants could not draw their pay contractors could not continue their works every litigant found his lawsuit hung up the confusion and anarchy caused was out of all proportion to the gravity of the provocation which tiberius had received the main result of it was to estrange from the reformers cause the greater part of his more moderate partisans there were men who thought that the law was desirable if the possessores could be paid off and induced to depart without too much friction but it was obviously iniquitous to abolish the compensation clauses merely because opposition had been offered and to put a stop to all public business was mischievous and wrong-headed in the extreme tiberius however was wrought up to such a pitch of exasperation that he utterly refused to press his scheme in a slower and less desperate fashion he brought forward the new and harsher form of the bill and laid it before the comitia at the first opportunity 
again octavius interposed his veto rioting followed and it is said that a gang of the clients and hangers-on of the possessores made a dash for the balloting urns and tried to break up the comitia in order to prevent the reformer from proceeding they were routed however and the meeting continued two friends of gracchus a manlius and a fulvius both consulars are then said to have suggested to him that before going further he might ask the senate to plead with his colleague to allow the bill a fair hearing the proposal if made in good faith was not a very wise one considering that most senators were holders on a greater or lesser scale of public land possibly as mommsen suggests the more moderate men wished at all costs to give gracchus time to get cool and to allow him a chance of discussing his bill in a less electric atmosphere than that of the comitia it argues an honest simplicity on the part of the reformer that he accepted the suggestion and hurried off to the senate house clearly he thought that his proposals must seem so reasonable to every good citizen that the senate would take sides in his favour even against the private interest of the majority of its members he was soon undeceived there was much debate but nothing was done when he broached his request he was met with insulting replies from prominent squatters and finally the senate refused to interfere with a tribune who was only exercising his undoubted constitutional privilege convinced now that he would get nothing by quiet means and that all the upper classes were leagued against him tiberius rushed into mere violence and illegality at the next meeting of the comitia he made one more appeal to octavius taking him by the hand and imploring him not to stand between the people and their will when the expected negative was given to his impassioned appeal tiberius suddenly produced a new and startling proposal two colleagues of equal power he said when they differ on a capital point cannot work together they must always be engaged in hostilities and the public weal must suffer it would be better that one should be removed accordingly he invited octavius to take the sense of the meeting on their differences with the understanding that the tribune found to be in a minority should abdicate from his office and withdraw the notion was unprecedented and unconstitutional indeed looking over the assembly all clamorous for the agrarian law and new farms octavius must have considered it a mockery as well as a solecism of course he refused to have anything to do with such a scheme tiberius told him to look out for the worst and dismissed the comitia for that day on the following morning he put before the tribes a very simple issue could the magistrate who opposed the will of the people be the people's true representative if he was setting himself up in opposition to them ought he not to be removed of course the argument was as illogical as it was unconstitutional for the will of the people in the mouth of gracchus meant merely the snap vote of some particular assembly of the twenty thousand or thirty thousand citizens who chanced to be in the compass martius that day there is an end of all government if magistrates can be made and unmade by the whim of any mob that gets together on a day of excitement 
according to the roman constitution the idea of deposing a tribune was unthinkable once elected he represented the majesty of the people and could not be touched to harm him was sacrilege voluntary resignation or death were the only ways in which his place could become vacant to remove him by a vote of the tribes before his time was out was as impossible as let us say it would be for a mass meeting of the electors of westminster to declare their member of parliament deposed and then to fill up his place nevertheless when the adjourned assembly met tiberius put before them the motion that octavius should be deposed from office his colleagues simply observed that the whole proceeding was impossible and illegal but the voice of the multitude was with the reformer seventeen tribes one after another gave their votes for the proposal before the eighteenth had come up and an actual majority had been registered the number of tribes was thirty-five at this period tiberius gave octavius a last chance telling him that if his veto were withdrawn the vote should proceed no further but the optimate was neither to be intimidated nor to be coaxed he maintained his obdurate attitude until the voting was over then when told to depart because he had been deposed and was no longer a tribune he clung to the rostra vociferating that the whole proceedings were null and void a statement which was undoubtedly true if there remained any force in the roman constitution completely losing control of his temper tiberius had him dragged off the platform and thrust away the mob below got him down and nearly pulled him to pieces he barely escaped with his life and a faithful retainer who tried to protect him had his eyes torn out after this scandalous scene in which he had narrowly escaped the guilt of causing his colleague's death tiberius proceeded to hold an illegal election meeting and filled up the place of octavius in the tribunicial college with an obscure client of his own one quintus mummius there was now nothing to prevent the passing of the agrarian law which was produced for the third time and carried in its revised form with the compensation clauses left out we have already given its details it only remains to add that when the three commissioners agristandus assignandus had to be appointed tiberius showed a great want of political wisdom he named himself his younger brother gaius a youth of twenty and his father-in-law appius claudius he aimed merely at securing stringent efficiency in action and did not see how invidious it was to assign the grave and unpleasant work of confiscation to a mere family party there would have been a serious financial difficulty in starting the commission on its work if it had not been for an unforeseen chance even if the domain lands were successfully torn from the possessores and handed over to the would-be colonists how would the latter be fitted out for their experiment thousands of cottages must be built for them tens of thousands of yokes of oxen purchased hundreds of thousands of agricultural implements procured how tiberius had originally proposed to find the very large sums of money necessary for this purpose we are not told the raising of the funds would certainly have involved him in a bitter conflict with the senate who always made finance their special province but fortune intervened 
just at this moment there died attalus the third the last king of pergamus he was an eccentric and tyrannical prince who divided his time between the study of the fine arts and the extermination of his relatives when he died suddenly of sunstroke it was found that he had left his whole kingdom as a legacy to the roman republic those who knew him averred that he had often pondered over the most effective way of making his subjects unhappy and had concluded that he could devise no better manner of doing so than this there was an enormous accumulation of ready money in the coffers of attalus tiberius resolved to seize upon it for his own purposes accordingly he brought forward a bill by which the pergamene treasures were voted away to purchase ploughs and oxen and to build barns and cottages for the new settlers it mattered little that many districts of asia broke out into rebellion rather than accept the roman domination the inland was in arms under a certain aristonicus the son it was said of the daughter of an itinerant harper who claimed to be a natural son of the father of attalus the third but the capital the coast cities and most important of all the treasure were safely made over to the senate and people it was this ample stock which made it possible for tiberius to set the land commission seriously to work it is clear that before the end of his year of office a vast amount of land had been seized and distributed but for one more important thing tiberius made no provision evidently he had no conception of the need of it this was to secure that when the land was distributed and stocked and furnished with its barns and cottages it should prove a paying concern yet one would have thought that even a rash experimenter might have reflected that if the older race of farmers with all the accumulated experience of ages spent on the same soil could not make both ends meet it was decidedly unlikely that their successors city-bred men or at least men who had taken refuge in the city and lived there for some time estranged from rural pursuits would be able to accomplish the feat but it is clear that the fact that agricultural depression had its roots not in the wickedness of the rich but in obscure economic changes had never entered the reformer's head of the friction that must have accompanied the confiscations our authorities tell us little we only know that there was an immense number of complicated lawsuits and that the bitterness of feeling among the expropriated possessores grew more bitter as the year rolled on if they had raged at the threat of eviction it was but natural that they should grow absolutely desperate as man after man they were actually expelled from their holdings there is no reason to doubt the truth of the statement that plots were made to assassinate tiberius he himself certainly believed it and when one of his friends died of an obscure distemper he accused his enemies of having poisoned him and made an inflammatory harangue at his funeral in which he declared that he was obliged to place his life under the protection of the people such a guarantee was not of much effective use and tiberius went about with the uncomfortable persuasion that he was a marked man bitter hatred followed him wherever he appeared he had ruined too many prominent men to be able ever to live again in quiet angry senators insulted him in the streets 
and asked him inconvenient constitutional questions on public occasions no story was too silly or malignant to be told against him one ridiculous optimate solemnly declared that he had got from pergamus among the royal treasures a crown and a purple robe which he intended to use when he should proclaim himself king of rome the most threatening symptom however for tiberius was that several resolute enemies announced that they intended to impeach him for maestas for unconstitutional conduct amounting to high treason the day that his office came to an end because he had diminished the majesty of the roman people by deposing a sacrosanct tribune from office tiberius knowing that he was technically guilty had no wish to face such a trial he made an elaborate apologia for all that he had done in a speech which shows strong traces of his studies in the field of greek political philosophy the person of a tribune he said is no doubt sacred and inviolable because he is the representative of the sovereign people but if he manifestly opposes their interests and tyrannizes over them by refusing to allow them the liberty to vote on any project which they have at heart he surely deprives himself by his own act of his sacrosanct character if we were to find a tribune trying to pull down the temple on the capitol or to set fire to the arsenal we should lay restraining hands on him in spite of his inviolability and in a similar fashion he who was doing his best to diminish the majesty of the roman people must be stripped of the power to do so is it not shocking to think that the people should not have the right of deposing one who is using his privileges against those who gave them to him the kings of old held the most awful of magistracies yet tarquin was expelled can anything be more holy and venerable than the vestal virgins who keep the perpetual flame yet if one of them breaks her vows she is buried alive so too a tribune who injures the sovereign people can no longer be sacred and inviolable because of the investiture which the people gave him he has destroyed the power in which alone his strength lay all this and much more to the same effect was eloquent and persuasive enough but clearly it was not law nor was it even common sense the whole argument rests on the assumption that a minority has no right to resist by the constitutional means which are at its disposal it assumes that the verdict of the comitia on some chance day of meeting is the same thing as the will of the roman people it also presupposes that what the people desire is necessarily for its own best interests from such views any amount of intolerant trampling on minorities might be logically justified if anything more is needful to make the reformer's position absurd it is that the body which he idealized into the roman people was really the shifting urban multitude which his adversaries called the mob misera et sordida plebecula to use the words of a later politician the time for the election of the tribunes for b c one thirty two was now drawing near and it was suggested to gracchus that if he wished to preserve himself from prosecution for high treason and if he desired to be sure that his land commission should go on with its work 
the best thing that he could do would be to stand again for the tribunate and to retain both his sacrosanct position and his power of dealing as a magistrate with the public assembly by resolving to offer himself as a candidate for a second term of office tiberius changed his whole political position he had started as an enthusiast who had only one single measure at heart and merely desired to carry it through the settlement of the agrarian question had seemed to him to be the one really pressing need of the roman state when his great bill had passed he might logically have sung his nunc dimittis and retired into private life to live down the hatred of the governing classes by proving that at least he had been wholly disinterested in all his actions but by asking for a second term of office tiberius made himself into a permanent party leader he saw this himself and justified his position by putting forth a regular political programme in the reforms which he announced that he intended to carry out in b c one thirty two we see foreshadowed the whole democratic platform of the next fifty years the planks of it included number one the relaxation of the terms of military service number two the granting of a right of appeal from all law courts to the sovereign people assembled in the comitia number three the abolition of the monopoly which the senators had hitherto enjoyed of supplying all the jurors in the courts number four if valius is to be trusted the introduction of a bill for extending the franchise to latin and italian allies how far this last proposal was to go is unfortunately unknown indeed we have only a very meagre outline of the whole set of schemes it would probably be doing tiberius an injustice to suspect that the whole of this programme was drawn up in order to provide him with an excuse for asking for a renewal of his tribunate he considered that his opponents had behaved so badly that he was in duty bound to continue the campaign against them that had commenced with the agrarian law he had gathered round himself a knot of partisans who looked upon him as their responsible leader and would highly resent his retirement from public life we may suspect also that the discovery of his own power to sway the multitude by his fervid eloquence had somewhat intoxicated him and that he was not unwilling to accept the post of friend of the people to accuse him of mere ambition and love of authority would be unfair though he was busily engaged in breaking up the old constitution of rome he does not seem to have been aware of the fact by legislating on such important matters as the agrarian law and the appropriation of the pergamene treasuries by mere plebiscites without the approval and consent of the senate he had practically ended the time-honoured compromise under which roman politics had been conducted for the last two hundred years if the state machine could be worked by an irresponsible tribune dealing directly with the sovereign people the senate became a useless wheel in the engine but it seems probable that all these facts passed completely over the reformer's head he was under the impression that he was no revolutionary but merely a good citizen carrying out his obvious duty the news that tiberius was canvassing for a second tenure of office brought the more or less suppressed wrath of his enemies to boiling point they had supposed that they would be rid of him as legislator at the end of the year and they had hoped to do their best to get him tried for maestas when he was once more a private citizen 
the prospect of a second year of democratic agitation appalled them accordingly they bent all their efforts to the end of frustrating his election owing to the season of the year it was certain that very few rural voters would be present they would not leave the vintage even to support their best friend the matter would lie as usual in the hands of the urban populace and the enemies of gracchus were not without hopes that a combination of influence intimidation and bribery might secure them a majority in that very unsatisfactory body of voters but when the reformer devoted himself for many days to a desperate personal canvass it soon became evident that his popularity was too great and that his triumph was more than probable as a last resort his foes resolved to raise a constitutional question on a disputed point of election law when among immense excitement the poll began the first two tribes gave their suffrages for gracchus it was so customary for the remaining tribes to follow the lead of those who had the prerogative of the first vote that the return of the reformer seemed secure but then the objection was made that it was not legal for the same person to hold a tribunate for two years in succession this was a doubtful point of constitutional law so much so that a few years later the democratic party took the trouble to pass a bill formally affirming its legality but in b c one thirty three the question was still to be debated there were many precedents for re-election the case of licinius the author of the old agrarian law of b c three sixty seven was especially apposite as the people had returned him for ten successive years before he finally got his scheme carried out on the other hand there was an old law dating from the generation after licinius b c three forty two which discouraged re-election it had not been invariably observed but it was still on the statute book moreover there was a constitutional theory that the practice was to be deprecated because it prevented a magistrate from being made responsible for the acts of his year of office a person who was perpetually re-elected could never be called to account this theory was still worth defending if the optimates wished for a fight when the point was brought up the partisans of tiberius raised loud cries of dissent and such a tumult arose that the presiding tribune one rubrius grew scared and refused to proceed then mummius the successor of the deposed octavius tried to take over the charge of the meeting declaring that he saw no difficulty and was prepared to go on with the election but other tribunes intervened declaring that either rubrius must carry out his day's work or else there must be a fresh casting of lots for the selection of a fresh president while the magistrates wrangled the people grew more and more turbulent and when the meeting had degenerated into a riot it had finally to be adjourned this unexpected hitch in the proceedings struck dismay into the heart of tiberius he thought that he was lost if he should fail to secure his re-election considering the fierce spirit which his enemies were displaying clothing himself in black and leading his little son by the hand he went round the forum appealing to the multitude to save their friend from imminent peril of death his indignant partisans closed around him vowing that he should be preserved at all costs and for the next few days he went about with a sort of bodyguard armed with staves and bearing torches after nightfall this mob was a splendid mark 
for the satire and invective of the optimates had there ever been before they asked a citizen of rome who could not stir without a huge gang of bravos at his heels what could such assemblies mean if greek precedents went for anything the friend of the people who declared his life in danger and went about with an organized band of satellites behind him would some day blossom out into a tyrant seize the capital and massacre the senate we may be perfectly certain that tiberius had no thought of emulating Sipolis or pisistratus but it must be confessed that his actions bore a most singular resemblance to theirs even those who sympathized with his ends were scared at his reckless proceedings for in this last crisis of his life he showed a complete lack of coolness and self-restraint on the night before the adjourned election meeting he collected a great crowd of his adherents many of whom encamped before his house and slept in the street he harangued them told them that violence would probably be used against them and added that in that case they must meet force by force he arranged that his partisans should mass themselves in the front of the place of assembly before the capital and keep off their opponents by their serried ranks appian adds that he agreed to give them a signal if he considered himself in danger by raising his hand to his head as a token that his life was at stake if they saw the sign they must prepare to fight all this was a deliberate provocation of civil war to endeavour to pack a meeting and to come down prepared for violence means rioting and not politics it was quite enough to give an excuse to men much less angry and unscrupulous than the opponents of gracchus on the eventful day the tribune set out accompanied by a mass of his supporters we are told that all the omens were very dismal that morning the sacred chickens had refused to eat tiberius stumbled on his own doorstep and cut his foot crows scuffling on the roof dislodged a tile which fell almost on his head his satellites muttered that ill luck was in the air but his old tutor the philosopher blasius cried out that the son of gracchus and the grandson of scipio the protector of the people of rome would never be held back by any omen from going forth to help that people in the day of their need and the cortege forced its way through the crowded streets toward the capital at first it seemed as if the reformer were about to carry all before him his faithful tool mummius had obtained the presidency for the day and began to call over the roll of the tribes there was a solid mass of democrats at the front who received gracchus with the loudest acclamations and formed round him a sort of battle array when he took his place with his colleagues but presently it was seen that there was also a hostile element present the possessores had sent down their clients and retainers and scuffling and quarrelling began at half a dozen points till all was clamour and disorder and the voices of the tribunes could not any longer be heard at this moment tiberius descried a friend of his a senator named fulvius flaccus making frantic signs and beckonings to him over the head of the crowd from a point of vantage on to which he had climbed flaccus one of the few really warm partisans of reform in the senate had news for his leader when he had been with difficulty thrust to the front he gasped that danger was imminent for the possessories were trying to induce the senate to declare tiberius a public enemy 
and since they could not move the consul to action were threatening to arm their friends and servants and to sally out into the streets to murder him without waiting to see whether or no the report was exaggerated or the enemy really at hand tiberius gave the signal for hostilities by making the preconcerted sign of raising his hand to his head in an instant all was in confusion his friends girt up their gowns broke up the fast case of the lictors and any other woodwork they could find to make bludgeons gathered in a compact mass and drove the partisans of the possessores out of the field with bruises and broken heads the other tribunes fled the priests hastened to shut up the temples and peaceable citizens ran home to get out of the trouble spreading various absurd rumours as they fled while all this was in progress the senate had been sitting in the temple of fides receiving from time to time more or less accurate accounts of what was going on before the capital the news that flaccus had carried to the assembly seems to have been somewhat highly coloured for though the possessores had been denouncing tiberius in the bitterest terms they had not succeeded in moving the consul scaevola to take any action against him nor had the senate shown any willingness to pass a decree of outlawry there were still many moderate men in it who shrank from the responsibility of commencing civil strife the debate in the senate was only brought to a head when the clamour of the multitude who were fleeing from the scene of riot was heard inquiries made of the fugitives elicited the wildest statements some said that gracchus was deposing all the other tribunes from office as he had once deposed octavius and others cried that he was appointing himself without election tribune for the ensuing year the most absurd version was that when he had been seen raising his hand to his head he was asking for the kingly crown the opponents of gracchus were already wrought up to such a pitch of wrath by the financial ruin that he had brought upon them that they readily believed or professed to believe even the wildest of these rumours their spokesman publius cornelius scipio nasica a consular who had been a great holder of domain land leapt to his feet and once more adjured scaevola to take up arms against the tyrant but the imperturbable magistrate merely announced that if gracchus was persuading or forcing the people into irregular courses he should take care to annul his proceedings but that he would not be the first to have recourse to violence nor would he ever put any citizen to death without a trial then nausicaa cried aloud that since the consul refused to defend his country he adjured all who wished to save rome and her laws to follow him to the capital so saying he girt up his toga and cast the purple border of it over his head that all might see his rank he rushed into the street followed by many scores of the younger senators who were joined outside by a crowd of their clients and attendants they soon made their way to the capital where they found gracchus haranguing his partisans the multitudes were thinning out after the election proceedings had come to an end and it is said that the reformer had now no more than three thousand or four thousand men around him without any attempt at parley nasica charged at the democrats with his followers streaming in a wedge behind him the senators at their head neither side was armed save with staves and broken chairs and benches quite contrary to what might have been expected the optimates cleft through the mob of gracchus's partisans without much difficulty 
it is said that many instinctively gave way before the rush of furious senators out of inbred reverence for the purple stripe this much is certain that belaboring their opponents with their improvised weapons nausicaa and his followers cleared the capital driving the democrats before them and casting some over the cliffs of the ascent the fray was very bloody for the assailants knocked on the head every man that fell nearly three hundred persons were killed not one it is recorded by an edged weapon but all by sticks and stones among the victims was gracchus himself who had been thrown down near the door of the capitoline temple in front of the statues of the ancient roman kings he had stumbled over a corpse and as he strove to rise a senator named publius satureus beat out his brains with a footstool thus miserably perished a young man of excellent intentions and perfect honesty who thought himself destined to be the regenerator of rome and merely succeeded in launching the state upon a hundred years of bitter civil strife no man is fit for a party leader who combines an emotional temperament an impatience of opposition and a complete inability to look at contested questions from his opponent's point of view as well as his own it is probable that tiberius was attempting an impossible task without the introduction of protection agriculture was doomed in central italy and protection could not be got because it was against the interests of the urban multitude but the agrarian question had to be fought out and the contest if waged with the usual gravity and self-restraint of ancient roman politics need not have ended in confiscation without compensation on the one side or riot and massacre on the other for the course that events took gracchus himself must bear the responsibility his enemies were greedy and narrow-minded but he himself was harsh reckless and provocative beyond measure when in a moment of pique he struck out the compensation clauses from his bill he challenged the possessores to a fight to the death morally speaking there can be no doubt that they were entitled to some sort of amends for being evicted without warning from estates which they and their fathers had occupied for several generations having ruined many men of mark and impoverished many more tiberius had secured for himself an enmity that was bound to end either in his death or exile or in his being compelled to seize autocratic power his means were even worse than his ends no statesman has a right to pull down the constitution about the ears of the people the moment that he finds himself checked in his designs however bad a constitution may be the man who upsets it before he has arranged for anything to be put in its place is a criminal and an anarchist if he knows what he is doing a mischievous madman if he does not it would seem from the general bent of the reformer's character that it is to the latter class that he must be consigned he had many private virtues but so had robespierre a man may be eloquent incorruptible and thoroughly convinced of his own good intentions but if he is sufficiently reckless vain and otolatrous he may blossom out into the worst sort of tyrant the philosophic doctrinaire looking at the emotional and impatient character of tiberius it is quite possible to conceive that if that scuffle on the capital had had another result he might ultimately have become that which his enemies declared that he wished to be 
the tyrant of rome end of section three